Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Charlie Matz, filling in for Ben Blakey. It's Thursday, August 4th, 2022. When was the last time that God gently, or not so gently, reminded you that you're not enough? If you're a child of Christ, then you can recall several times since you got saved when God has reminded you of your need for Christ, not just your need for Christ to be saved, but your need for Christ to live a righteous life. We're prone to wander. We are prone to take things into our own hands and rely on our own strength. We're prone to forget the knowledge of our condition, both what we were saved from and what we're saved for. The story of man is simple at its core. We are hopeless left to ourselves. God is graciously perfect and always keeps his promises. And we need to be reminded of this over and over again. In today's readings, there are two important lessons. In our Old Testament reading, we're reminded that no one, not even the wisest man on the planet who built the greatest temple, no one is saved from despair of sin. And the only way to avoid it is to be obedient to what God says. In our New Testament reading, we're reminded that God's plan happened and will happen exactly the way that he said it would, and it can't be altered in any way or the master plan of redemption falls apart. Today's Old Testament reading is in 1 Kings 8 and 2 Chronicles 5. We're reading about the dedication of the temple by Solomon now that it's complete. Solomon is going to start dedicating the temple by bringing the Ark of the Covenant to it. This is happening 11 months after the temple construction is complete, and it is timed out with the Feast of Tabernacles. Perhaps Solomon did this on purpose so that there would be many people in Jerusalem for the occasion. 1 Kings 8, 10, and 11 says, And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Here we have a symbol of God's presence filling the temple, a reminder of what the temple's main purpose is. This is similar to when the glory filled the tabernacle in Exodus 40, 34. Next, Solomon is going to address the Lord and then turn to the people to address them. As you read Solomon's address to the people in the prayer of dedication, keep something tucked away in your mind. Solomon will fail to worship the one true and living God later in his life. Here he speaks great and eloquent truths of the Lord. I'm guessing this dedication was powerful and moving. Perhaps certain Jews were getting choked up. As we read about today's momentous occasion, let it be a backdrop that exposes the devastation of disobedience in worshiping false idols. Solomon will eventually disobey God by taking foreign wives, and those wives will lead him to worship false gods. Nonetheless, there are some powerful truths that Solomon explains and prays about God, and here are a few of them. God promised David that his son would build the house for the Lord that he has always wanted to build, and here God has fulfilled his promise. God has provided a place for the Ark of the Covenant, which is a reminder of what God did in Egypt to rescue the Israelites, while also being a reminder of God's commandments, a constant reminder that Israel must be obedient to be blessed. Part of the Mosaic Covenant was that God would bless or discipline them based on their ability to obey or disobey God's laws. See Leviticus 26, 14-39. God cannot be contained by the house that Solomon has built. God hears the pleas of his people. God forgives his people when they repent and cry out to him. And God knows the heart of man and he should be feared. As we read of the dedication, prayer, and benediction of the temple by Solomon, there are two major truths that glare us modern Christians right in the face based on our benefit of having hindsight. 
First, man is sinful and hopeless without God. Solomon is stating truth after truth about God as he kneels in the temple he has just built with his arms lifted high only to betray the Lord in due time. The last line of his benediction exposes both the truth and a sad irony. It says, Let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord, our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. Not only would Solomon fail to walk in his statutes, but the Jewish people would as well. And part of the consequences for their sin would be their exile and the destruction of the very temple that they were dedicating. If you read the books of Haggai and Zechariah, you can see that the rebuilding of the temple included the Jewish people humbly confessing that its destruction wasn't ultimately the fault of the Babylonians, but rather themselves. God simply used the Babylonians to judge the nation of Israel. So yes, man is sinful and hopeless without God, but... The second thing is, God is perfect and keeps his promises. Every truth that Solomon speaks throughout this dedication will be true of the Lord forever. And why is that so important for us? Because although they offered sacrifices to dedicate the temple, which we'll read more about tomorrow in 2 Chronicles 6 and 7, the ultimate sacrifice came years and years later when the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, came to dwell among us. He lived the perfect life died the death we deserved, and rose from the grave, defeating death, and then he sent us the Holy Spirit to live in us, making us the temple as the body of Christ. In today's New Testament passage in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-28, we read some rich truths regarding Christ's resurrection and our eventual resurrection. Remember yesterday when Paul is warning the Corinthians about being distracted and drawing attention to themselves by misusing gifts? Well, now he's going to remind them of the gospel. And it says this starting in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of the first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. There is a lot of truth packed into this one short passage. First, Paul is giving them a chance to examine their belief. If we are continually practicing sin, then we should examine what John says in 1 John 3, 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. God fulfilled his promise of the coming Messiah. He did what he said he would do through the death and resurrection of Christ. Christ's resurrection was confirmed by eyewitness testimony, including Paul. Now Paul slightly shifts his focus on the resurrection of both Christ and of believers. This might have been a doctrine that the Corinthian church was having a hard time with. First, they might have thought that it was improper. And what do I mean by that? Well, there was a belief among Greek philosophers called dualism. Those philosophers thought that everything physical was evil, so the body was evil and therefore a physical resurrection would be a deplorable idea to some of the Corinthians who were influenced by Greek philosophers. Second, they might have been influenced by the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. Either way, the resurrection of Christ and of believers was 
referenced in the Old Testament and was a core focus of the apostles' teaching in the early church. Now, in the rest of our passage, Paul is going to make some serious points about the resurrection and why it's so important. He says, of starting in verse 13, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Christ's resurrection and the believer's resurrection, they go together. And he confirms this again in verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then there's really nothing to preach about, is there? There's no good news. Our preaching would be in vain. Our faith would be in vain. In verse 15, he says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. You see, if the resurrection isn't true, then we who preach the gospel are really liars, is what Paul is saying. And continuing in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. No one can be redeemed from their sin if Christ is not raised. All former believers have perished if Christ is not raised. And we have all been the most duped people on the planet. We're, the, we're to be the most pitied if Christ has not been raised. Our whole mission is in vain. So far, Paul is saying to the Corinthian church and to us that we should take Christ's and the church's resurrection seriously because if it's all not true, The preaching is useless, faith is useless, we are liars, redemption is not available, former believers should be forgotten, and we are the most pitiable people because our entire mission is a waste of time. However, Paul continues in verse 20 with that glorious word, but. He explains that Christ's resurrection is a deposit guaranteeing our resurrection. He explains that through one man, Adam, all are born into sin, and through one man, Christ, all can be saved who put their trust in. In him. Then Paul finishes off our passage for today with an eschatological checklist of sorts. First, believers will be resurrected. There are differing beliefs as to when this happens and in which order, but everyone can agree that it will happen and that we'll have new bodies preparing us for eternal glory with Christ. Then Christ will subject all of his enemies under his feet. During Christ's millennial reign, his enemies will be under his authority, the scriptures say, but he will banish them permanently after 1,000 years of reign. Although Christ defeated Satan and death on the cross, the permanence of that will be realized at the end of the millennium when Christ takes care of Satan and death forever. See Revelation chapter 20. Paul will go on to explain how the resurrection compels us to live a different life now. So tomorrow we will take a look at that next passage. But for today, how can these truths of the resurrection encourage us? What goes back to our examination of Solomon's dedication to the temple? We are hopeless and lost in our own efforts to live a righteous life. We need a savior and we need a savior who has defeated death. We are hopeless in our own pursuits, but God is perfect and always delivers. We can look back and praise God that Christ did die and he did rise again. Let that give us confidence to believe that although we will die a physical death someday, we will not die spiritually. We will go to be with the Lord and one day he will resurrect our bodies to be perfect with him. And let us continue our day with this one last thought on our minds and hearts. If Christ really did rise from the grave, if his resurrection is true, then that changes everything for the lost, the souls walking in our midst who are headed to hell, who are separated from God, who need to be reconciled to him. May we have compassion to compel the lost to look upon our risen Christ, because if they die without Christ as their substitute, without putting their trust 
in this risen Christ, then they will not rise again someday to be with him. They will spend eternity separated from him, paying for their sins. Has the resurrection grown too familiar to us? I hope not. May we be refreshed by our reading today. May it encourage and embolden us to remember that Christ really did rise and it really did change everything. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. Pastor Ben Blakey will be back on August 22nd. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.